Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino. Now, here's your host, Dave Wyman. Hey, welcome to Hawks Live. We're here live at the Snoqualmie Casino. We'll be here every Thursday night on 710 ESPN Seattle. We've got a great show coming up here, but let's get right to our first guest on the phone, Shaquille Griffin. Shaquille, thanks for joining us, buddy. Oh, man, appreciate you guys having me. Hey, so last year you were a little hard on yourself, and uh, I heard on one of the shows you gave yourself a D or something. I I don't care what you give yourself this year. I'm giving you an A, Shaquille. You're you're having a great year, and how how are you feeling so far about uh, your season? Um, so far so good. I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, feeling pretty confident, comfortable. Um, there's so much more I want to do and accomplish. So, uh, you know, I can't even grade myself out right about now. But uh, you know. Almost halfway through, and um, I'm feeling good, but it's, it's definitely uh, a lot more I can improve on, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, good players are never satisfied, I know. So it's six <laughs> passes broken up, though, man. It's uh, it's really cool to watch you play, and uh, you've just been playing some great defense, and that had to have felt good in Cleveland. I mean, uh, you, you've caused uh, a couple of interceptions, and, you know, the, when that flurry of interceptions came in Cleveland, they really do come in bunches. That one uh, must have felt good for you defensive backs. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, they definitely felt good, and, you know, that's something that we try to build on. Um, I know everybody's feeling good, and, you know, I feel like the best thing to do is just capitalize on it. I know last game we didn't have any turnovers, but, you know, that's the, that's the type of mindset that we have to build off of, you know. You always want to try to come come out with at least three turnovers, and that's always our goal uh, week in and week out. You know, um, But Cleveland, it was a good start, so we know it's possible. We know we can make it happen. We just got to go out to a ball and get it. Hey, Shaquille, you've had the opportunity to go up against a Michael Thomas, a Brandon Cooks, an Odell Beckham, and uh, now you get Julio Jones. How do you get yourself ready for uh, these types of matchups? Um, just prepare, them to, uh, prepare for this guy the same way I prepare for everybody else. You know, I treat everybody the same. I treat everybody like they're the best. And, you know, and I just I come in with the best mindset of, you know, trying to be the best cornerback in the league. And, you know, when you have a tough mindset, you know, um, you're just ready to compete. Um, I'm always looking forward to another challenge. You know, and this week I, I get another one. And, you know, the best stand like they are the best. And that's the type of mindset I'm coming in with. You know, I know it's how a player that I'm going against. And you just got to be great on the day that we face him. Uh, I'm going to bring my A game. I know he's going to bring kids. And, it's going to be a nice competition, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, I, I love going against great receivers, and and uh, each week I get a chance at least to get one. So uh, it's, it's always an honor to get a chance to get guys like that. So I'm looking forward to it. What's it like you, you, the whole off season? You pretty much with the same group, the se- same secondary group. You go all through training camp, regular season. Now, you know, Quadre Diggs comes in. What? Or, Qua- Quandre, Quandre, thank you. He comes in. What's that like in the locker room? And and what's that like just for you guys mentally bringing in a new guy? You know, how do you guys accept him and all that stuff? Oh, we accept guys. We accept you know new guys and the guys like him with open arms. You know, but that's just type of uh, people Seattle brings in. You know, they bring in people. You know, that's actually caring. You know, for others, not just themselves. That's type of team we have. We have a team that's willing to you know give our shirt off our back to the next person and. When he came in, we got a chance to understand who he was. We let him talk and, you know, explain where he's from and, you know, his upbringing and where he's at now in life. And we accept guys like that who's able to open up and, you know, and understand um, who they are. And that's what we try to do. We try to, you know, create that family-type environment. And um, when you have that, we, op- we we have open arms for guys like that. And, 
like I said before, we'll give our, our, our shirt off our back for guys like that. And, you know, it, it's, at any day, it's business. We understand that. But, you know, we don't shy away from competition. You know, at any day, you still can compete for our spot. But, um, like I said before, uh, we're here to help each other. You know, that's the type of uh, environment we have here, the family type of atmosphere. And that's the that's type, that's type of and thing that we're not going to change. That's just us. Yeah, Shaquille, I, people ask me about you. I'm like, he's the nicest guy I've ever met, you know, and you already have that uh, going for you. But also, where does that come? Does a lot of that come from Pete Carroll? Because I think it's this way here more than other other teams that you guys are so gracious to newcomers and help them out. And, you know, does that is that something that Pete preaches? Uh, yeah, you know, I feel like, Pete doesn't even have to preach that. You know, I just feel like the type of guys he brings to that building is already have some type of love for one another. You know, and that's just some people you have around that organization. So I got to give, you know, props to Pete, you know, and John for, you know, knowing who to bring in to the organization, to bring in around guys like us. So, uh, you know, it's not something you have to preach. He just knows what type of guys that he wants around, you know, his organization. And he brings guys who care about the next. You know, it's not always about just one person. And I feel like that's a, a great thing to have when you have a coach like that who who knows the type of personalities and the people he want around. And, um, you know, and, and having Diggs here now, he's going to bring that same type of environment. You know, you, I can tell already just from the week him, of, of him being around and, and leaders in practice, he's willing to help out, you know, give tips of his experience of being in the league. You know, that, and that's cool to see because, you know, it's just and nothing changes the way Pete feels about guys and he knows who he wanted what kind of personality he wanted organization and it shows so it's nothing he has to preach he just already have guys around like that hey Shaquille I'm gonna switch it up a bit I want to talk about your style man I see you and your brother before the games you guys always got some kind of tired looking fresh do you have a stylist or is that something you and your brother just come up <laughs> with on your own mm-hmm. uh no nah, no stylist man no stylist that's just us <laughs> <laughs> As all love, you know, uh, we we try to brainstorm the different things that we like, and we just go off vibes and feelings, and you know, and the first thing that comes to mind, you know, we just go get it and we try to, you know, put it together. So uh, yeah, no stylus. I, I had a couple stylus hit us up, but uh, I think we got it down packed right now. All right, Shaquille. Well, I'm gonna have to check you out on the team plane and uh, make sure it meets, you know, Michael Bumpus's standards and everything. So, hey, uh, tell us about what you're seeing. Well, here's yeah, you should laugh at that. Bumpus, Bumpus just wears free Bump, stuff. Was, oh, and like you, you don't. You well, still hey, have your Nike the, shoes from back in 1987. The Seahawks give me free stuff. I wear it. All right. So, hey, so Shaquille, tell us what you're seeing from uh, the Atlanta Falcons, real quick. Number two passing game. Matt Ryan. Not sure if we're going to see him or not, but. What are you seeing from your opponent? Um, just seeing a lot of spread. I know, uh, you know, they focus on more of just passing. So I, I know what type of game is going to be for the guys in the back end and, you know, and what type of receivers we're going against. Um, you know, right now, at this point, we just got to win our, one, our one-on-one matchups. You know, I know it's going to be a, a tough battle, but, uh, you know, we got a front seven that's going to go and put pressure on guys, you know, and that's going to – you know, have to win their battles up front, you know, and, and give us some chances, you know, in the back end to make some really good plays. So, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to throw some pressures, but we're going to let that, that D-line, that front seven really do exactly what he's been doing all year and just, you know, putting pressure on guys. And in the back end, we're going to do exactly what we need to do and, you know, staying over the top end and making the plays that we need to make. But, uh, you know, we know these guys, the type of weapons they have, we know what type of game they're coming with. 
we know they're going to focus mainly on passing. So um, we know what type of game it's going to be. But um, we got a really nice game plan, and it should be nice. It's going to be a nice little competition. It's going to be a nice little show. But um, we definitely prepared. All right, Shaquille, we really appreciate you coming on late with us and uh, sharing all that. And best of luck in Atlanta, and uh, have a great game. Wow, thank you so much. Appreciate you guys again. All right, there we go. Shaquille Griffin, just one of the good guys on this team. And, you know, it's interesting, Quandre uh, Diggs, they mentioned when I found out, well, Tyler Lockett's his best friend. I'm like, okay, he's in. I mean, you know, it, and I think that's a big part of it. They have a happy locker room and uh, everybody working together, and it's just a, it's a good feeling around down there at the VMAX. They, they do. They have a lot of good guys. And it's Quandre, you know, Diggs coming in. Team captain for Detroit. Yeah, I mean, that when, was something. When, huh? when you read the tweets from his teammates, I mean right. it. I mean, when it makes headline news how disappointed they were him leaving, not just as a player but as a person. Right. And the Seahawks scored big time on that one. Yeah, you know, I was like, some of these guys are going to get themselves in trouble with their coach Matt Patricia because <laughs> you know they're griping about it. But you know, it's just good to know. And he's a five nine safety, about two hundred pounds. I was I went back and looked at his game last year against the the Seahawks, and he was the leading tackler, had eight tackles, had a tackle for a loss. Um, I think Ed Dixon did catch a touchdown uh, over the top of him, but it was a spectacular catch by Ed Dixon, and they just like what they see. I think it's interesting that this guy, I'm sure they've been watching for ever since he got in the league. I mean, they may have wanted to draft this kid at one point, but it was just kind of an out-of-the-blue trade, like Quandre Diggs. Who's this guy? And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that they've kept track of him and knew who he was. And Pete Carroll feels like he fits specifically into this defense. What I like about the dude, man, he plays fast. He plays the game fast, and he doesn't play like he's under six foot. You know, he reminds me of what I think they want Ugo Almighty to be eventually. They're about the same size, the same type of stature type of player, and he's always around the ball. And I think that's what this defense needs on the back end. Need a guy who's going to come in and smack it and play with some swag. I love the way this guy plays. Yeah, and they're addressing the safety uh, position. We'll get to uh, get to that with you, Coach Moyer, having played safety. Uh, you know, just something that they felt they needed to address. All right, well, coming up next on Hawks Live, here with uh, Paul Moyer, Michael Bumpus, I'm Dave Wyman, and uh, we're up at the Snoqualmie Casino. We're here every Thursday night during the season here on 710 ESPN. Unfortunately, guys, we've got to go back and uh, recap what happened, what went wrong against the Ravens. That's next here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back. It's Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, Paul Moyer. We're here at the Snoqualmie Casino. Really a hidden gem out here. It's 10 to 12 minutes once you get past uh, the last exit in Isqua. Uh, you got this beautiful restaurant, Vista. It is. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Can't wait. Awesome food, and uh, they yeah. treat us great out here. And uh, you go out there, and it's like you're out. Like, you can't see any houses or buildings if you look at the view. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I don't know if you noticed, but I'm stalling because uh, we're supposed to recap the Raven game right now. <laughs> you don't want to get into it. Don't really want to talk about it. But, you know, a couple of huge mistakes on offense. Um, and then, you know, Lamar Jackson is fantastic. I thought more than anything, I mean, obviously his athletic ability was, you know, he's superior. I mean, people talk about spying him. With who? 
So, I mean, I think yeah. he, he might be the best athlete. I thought Bobby did a decent job one time running him out of bounds, but then another time they brought a blocker out for Bobby. So they had, like, a designed run. And, you know, you take away the one run, he had a scramble for 30. That knocks his yardage down to, like, 80, 85, and he only threw for 143. So it's not like he ran all over this team, but they had some really well-designed plays, and uh, you just can't make mistakes like they did on offense, giving up two touchdowns uh, to turnovers in, uh, you know, against a team like that. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it started also the first drive, you know, Tedrick Thompson, I mean, just gave up a 50-yard play. I mean, that I watched that one over and over, and I, at first I was like, okay, were they re- – were they – were they reading their route, Shaq, Griffin, and him? You know, because Shaq was uh, kind of slow playing on his side, reading the route, and and, and so they, they had a dig route, a deep crossing route, and, and a go route. That's what I think they thought that we're, they were getting. And I thought, okay, well, Tedrick is looking for that dig deep crossing route, and he's going to jump it, and Shaq's going to be over the top. Well, Shaq was actually looked like he was playing it, and then Pete made it clear that. That was very disappointing play on Tedrick. He said it was distasteful. Distasteful. <laughs> and, you know, the, here's, here's what I'm going to say about Tedrick, because, you know, I've been asked a lot about him. I, I think 95% of the time Tedrick plays pretty well. But you cannot give up big plays as a free safety. You cannot give up big plays. And even the last play, that I can't remember what the game was when they threw that one Hail Mary and he misplayed it. Cincinnati. He, Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, there's another play, you know, on a flea flicker. There's this play. You just can't have those. You, and and, you, and the, the coaches will lose confidence in you because of that. That was disappointing big time. I thought the interception, um, you know, for the touchdown, I, I'm putting that on Brown a little bit. Actually, I, if, if you really push me on that, I'm putting that more on the wide receiver than on Russell. Russell threw it. He saw that. You can't, as a veteran wide receiver, sorry, you know, if you're listening to this, but you cannot wait for a play, the ball to come to you. You've got to go get the ball. You've got to know a, DBs in this league, they're breaking on the football fast. I'm not saying it was the, the right throw, but that should not have been an interception. Uh, to me, if Brown plays it properly. So th- those are the things. And I- I'm going to one more comment. Sorry about this. You know, Lamar Jackson, he had two scrambles. They were scramble plays. One time we, we our defensive lineman jumped up. Bobby Wagner, as you mentioned, was, was on it. Bobby just couldn't catch him, and Bobby was trying. I mean, Bobby was into that game. He was running hard. He was running yeah. hard, and I go, if that was a 100-meter, Jackson beats him by eight yards. Mm. And that's how fast he is. He is the greatest running quarterback I've ever seen, and I just drove 32 hours in three days <laughs> to Dallas, Texas with my son, and we argued the point who was the best running backs, and he threw out Michael Vick, and we threw out Cunningham, and we threw out all these guys. And I said, Lamar Jackson is in a category all his own as, as a running quarterback. He is phenomenal. Did that last the entire 32 hours? It, it, that one lasted about an hour and a half. Good okay. conversations. There you go. We had some great ones. Play. We only fought a total of 15 minutes on that 32-hour drive. <laughs> nice. That was pretty good. That's nice. With your son, that's yeah. nice. I, think, I think going back to that Jerron Brown play, I think he was disappointing was that he didn't make an effort. I wouldn't say that it's on Jerron Brown. I think Russell Wilson put him in a situation to where he had to kind of make a play. But as a receiver, you're always taught to go back to the ball. So he gets some blame for that. Uh, you know, i got to protect my You guy, are man. totally you know, protecting you know, be, it's, it's, it's the truth. It's on both it's of the, them. It, yeah, both of them hold Don't some responsibility to it. The Tedrick Thompson deal, 
the worst part about that is that it happened early in the game. First drive. And then, and then you give the Ravens some life. You know, after that play happens, I'm like, oh, dang, are they going to be able to throw the ball against us? You know, you start getting some, some self-doubt in there. So, And then going back to the other part, Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick, the reason why I still hold Vick above Lamar Jackson is because Vick never had design runs. You know, and a lot of his runs were scrambles just like Lamar did. But I could only imagine – if Vic was in a system to where he, there were design runs for him, what he could do. Is he in the conversation? Most definitely. He's the most athletic dude I've seen on the football field with my own eyes. So um, it, that, that whole game, it just really sucked. DK fumbling the ball, trying to make the right play, mm-hmm. shifting over to it. At least we think he's trying to make the right play because you're taught since you're little, put the ball on the outside hand, uh, outside arm on the sideline. Um, in my opinion, I've never switched the ball. I just kept it in my dominant arm because I just felt comfortable doing that. So, yeah, Is it that important to get that switched over? I, you know, it, it, the more I talk about it, I don't think it is. I mean, what are you, you want to put it in the arm that's most dominant, your strongest arm. So, yeah. so why not? So theoretically, he's trying to make the right football play, but in reality, maybe you just keep it there and then, then why are you wearing gloves and sleeves when it's raining? <laughs> you know, it's just uh, this little, all, all a bunch of things that we could nitpick at. In the, the day, he fumbled the ball. I don't think it'll be an issue. But that that was the game on Sunday. Just a, a bunch of little things that that piled up and just ended up thirty to sixteen. I broke down a play, the fourth and two, where I was very impressed with Lamar Jackson. He was going crazy, jumping up and down when his center didn't snap it, and then you know he ends up talking his his coach, I think, into going for it on fourth and two. I diagrammed that play, and it was a typical Greg Roman thing where they just overwhelm you at the point of attack. And how they do it is, first of all, overload that side. Then they had a motion guy come across who's like a fullback D-line. He goes up into the gap, and then you have a pulling guard who pulls across. They had seven guys on one side of the center. And if you freeze frame that, even on the TV copy, you just see there's like a four-man wall right there but even with all of that marquise blair if he were to come over the top of that double team block that he got guy chipped and then came off on him if he would have came over the top of that i think he would have made the tackle but it's uh you just have to be on your p's and q's when you have a running quarterback because you know there's 11 guys usually say this all the time quarterback hands the ball off he's dead you're playing against 10 and this guy is the running back and so you just have to be you know, there was. It's not like they overwhelmed them offensively, but there was just a few plays that, like that one, where they just got uh, they got beat. And Seahawks made one little mistake, and that's the thing in the NFL: you make one mistake, the uh, the opponent finds it. Yeah, what what makes Lamar Jackson, and the reason why I say he's the greatest running quarterback I've ever seen, you know, he's two hundred and fifteen, twenty pounds. You know, he's six foot two. You know, Michael Vick. Five, maybe six maybe foot, six maybe, foot. you know, so I could, if I could get him, I could arm tackle him. You can't arm tackle Lamar Jackson. And that's why I said he's a true running back with design plays. It's, it's extremely difficult. I want to go, I want to do want to talk about that fourth down and two play because it is amazing how many second guessers Monday quarterbacks are, are now on Pete Carroll's decision-making on fourth down. We, we oh, go, when he kicked the field goal? Uh, New Orleans, we, we go for it. We don't get it. And everybody said, why did you do that? Right. Now we've kicked two. Why didn't you go for it? I go, you have got to be kidding me. Yeah. And now we've got one guy who calls a timeout. He blows a timeout. He's got his quarterback who talks him into going for it. 
and he's a genius. Well, <laughs> he wasn't a genius 90 seconds earlier because he was going to kick the field goal. Right. It's, it's amazing to me. I'm just like, look, fourth and ones, fourth and two, fourth and three, it's a coin flip. Yeah. And if you're going to second-guess coin flips, you, you – well, then they came out with a stat me. afterwards saying that in Pete Carroll's era that fourth and one to three, he's like 10 for 11 or something. But I, I, that's a Pro Bowl kicker. Yeah. It was 13-all. You knew that it was going to be a tight game and, yeah, was a Pro Bowl kicker. But we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I still, I still believe in him. It's not like I mean, it wasn't like that was in the bad end of the, the north no, end. Zone it's not like tougher. his numbers are horrible. Yeah, so, look, I, I just, yeah, I thought that was a, a bad second guess by everybody. But you're right. I mean, obviously, if, if he it makes works, the field goal, oh, everybody's, if we yeah. make the fourth and one, on and on and on. Yeah. It's just like, you know, look, end of the day, fourth quarter, we didn't win. I'll tell you what, I was really impressed with their defense. Uh, the play before they had to kick that field goal, it was fourth and three because it was like fourth and one or third and one or two. They they played the perimeter so well. They were so disciplined. They tried to run a fly sweep. The backside guy stayed home on that one. Uh, they tried to run a little swing route to Tyler yeah. Lockett. And I thought, oh, that's a good matchup out there. There was a linebacker and a corner. Dave, out there. as you know, and you, and you too, Michael, it, this is a game of adjustments. You know where they got us? They got us on second down on their defense. They they were ready for some fly sweeps. They were ready for some, you know, bubble fly screens. Yeah. They, they, when yeah. we went wide, they were shooting the gap. And instead of it coming up third and short or first, all of a sudden, we, now we were third and long on yeah. these second down plays, and that yeah. really did hurt us. All right, no more lamenting no. over the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> all right, good. I'm scratching right. that little segment out of the way. We're on to the Atlanta Falcons. And coming up next, we're going to get an opponent preview from Orlando Ledbetter. He's been there forever in Atlanta. He's with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman, Paul Moyer, Michael Bumpus, and we're now joined on the phone for an opponent preview Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Orlando, thanks for staying up late. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, so tell tell us uh, what you think about what happened at practice. From what I understand, uh, Trufant did not practice. Uh, Matt Ryan did not practice. Those two players, do you expect them to be ready to go on Sunday? Yeah, I think Matt will be ready to go. He has a high right ankle sprain. Uh, the other big one was Grady Jarrett, too. Uh, Trufant, I do not. He has Terso, and they are bringing him back. They want to make sure he can run at full speed. They don't want him outside, uh, you know, iffy and, and not questioning uh, his, uh, you know, not being able to play at full speed and questioning his cuts and so forth. So I don't believe he's ready. Uh, Matt's going to try to play. We saw him walking around today uh, without a boot. So, uh, you know, he's a gamer and is going to try to go. Uh, Grady Jarrett, I think, is going to try to go, too. You know, the one thing, Orlando, is what's, what's hard for us playing Atlanta is we, we like Atlanta. We, <laughs> we, we love Dan Quinn. I mean, God, he was a, a great defensive coordinator. What, what has gone wrong? I mean, it, a couple of years ago, we were looking at this defense as another Seahawk defense from, like, 2013. And this year, obviously, huge struggles. What's the biggest issue that's happened so far this year for them? Yeah, it's four things. Some of the guys that, you know, made it to the Super Bowl as rookies, the second-year guys, uh, 
you know, the next year they got injured, and, and some of them are, are back now. Keanu Neal got injured again. But uh, Deion Jones is not the same. These were people they were counting on to be pillars of the defense. Uh, Ricardo Allen, the free safety, your, uh, you know, Errol Thomas, uh, is not the same. He's coming back from Achilles, and he just doesn't have the range to get to as much stuff as he used to get to. And then uh, the defensive ends, they both drafted them in the uh, drafted both in the first round, Pat McKinley and Big Beasley. And uh, Coach Dan hasn't been able to generate a pass rush with those guys. So those were four pillars of the defense that they were counting on coming into the season, and, and nothing has worked with those uh, four guys. Hey, Orlando, with Snoop being shipped off to New England, uh, how much production are you respecting to see out of Russell Cage, or do you see really getting a little, uh, a few more targets? They were saying that Gage going to step into the Sanu role for now, but I think it eventually clears the path for uh, Ridley to get more of the uh, more of the catches. Uh, also, Austin Hooper, the tight end, will you know probably take over some of the third down catches that Sanu was getting. But yeah, they're going to. I think the production will start sliding over to Ridley, although Gage will still be a part of the offense. So, Orlando, how much in control of the defense is Quinn now? Because I was looking at some numbers over the last couple of years. Marquan Manuel was there, and, man, they were top ten in a lot of categories. And then this year, man, they've slipped down to the bottom half. Is he getting help from Bob Sutton? I know he was a former defensive coordinator. What? How is he handling the calling the defenses? Well, he, he had been calling it. That was a big thing when he got rid of Marquand. And uh, after the game against the Rams, he revealed that he had passed some of the, the play-calling uh, responsibilities off to a couple assistants. Uh, we suspect, and we pressed him, and he wouldn't reveal those assistants. So uh, today I talked to Bob Sutton. He said he wasn't one of them that uh, is calling the plays now. So we believe that he's sharing play-calling responsibilities with linebacker coach Jeff Ulbrich and his defensive passing game coordinator, uh, Jerome Henderson, in a kind of a collaboration effort to, to get the defense back on track. They, uh, they just haven't been able to get anybody stopped. They've been outscored 120 to 50 in the first half of games. So they never, they haven't been in much of the, many of the, but maybe just one of the games they were, uh, they were in at halftime. Uh, the Eagles game, they beat them and they were in a Houston game at halftime, 17-16, but then the, got the doors blown off, ended up giving up 53 points, uh, in that game to Houston. Again, talking about Dan Quinn, it, it seems like he's beloved. You know, you know, the owner Banks comes out, gives a, a little bit of an endorsement for him. But how important was it for Julio Jones to speak about Dan Quinn and, and what he means to the team? It's more on the players. And obviously we don't want them getting too fired up. But what, what was that speech all about? Oh, that's been the talk of town this week. Uh, you know, uh, my question was, what took you so long? Uh, <laughs> you no, know, it's one and six. I mean, they, they're about ready to usher Coach Dan up out of town. Uh, this probably need to be done at one and three. These guys uh, may have been reading their press, press pippings, thinking they're a little bit better than they were, uh, and uh, uh, went out and got smacked around here early in the season. This should have been done a couple weeks ago. It might be too late. But it might, uh, you know, be uh, enough of a spark to, to get them up and get them ready to play the Seahawks. But, uh, you know, if they have another level, Julio's asking for it right now. It's probably something that should have been done a little bit sooner. But 
uh, we'll see if it helps against uh, a fine Seattle team that's off to this five and two start. Um, from what you're saying, it sounds like Matt Ryan may play this weekend. But if, if Matt Schwab has to play, how confident is this team in handing the keys over to Schwab and, and getting it done? Well, he's looked good. I mean, he's 39. He hasn't started in uh, 15. You know, at the end, it didn't look real good for him in Oakland and then Baltimore. But, uh, you know, in practice, when we see him, the arm looks good. You know, the decision-making will be good. He's just got to capture uh you know, lightning in a bottle for one day. And at 39, he certainly has the memory banks to go up, you know, go back on that. Former pro bowler in 09 and 12, I think they're pretty confident that, uh, you know, he can, they can play and be competitive with him if Matt is not able to answer the bell. Hey, so Matt Ryan sacked 19 times. We're talking to Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um Offensive line, pretty good. They spent a first-rounder last year on a, a Husky. Caleb McGarry, got Alex Mack, Jake Matthews, James Carpenter, who's a Seahawk. Um, are they happy with the performance with uh, with Matt Ryan, especially since he gets hit and uh, ends up getting an ankle injury? Yeah, they're not too happy with the protection, but they didn't want to single out the line. Uh, they, uh, you know, 43 hits. They're on pace for, uh, you know, 40, 43 sacks and 109-some-plus hits, which would top the 42 and 108 they gave last year. So they need the line to tighten things up. They're really happy with Caleb, uh, especially in the run blocking. Uh, they knew he was going to have some problems against elite speed and uh, uh, pass blocking. But, you know, um, they're doing some things with him and shooting his hands out quicker because once he gets his hands on the guys, he's pretty he, he can do okay. Had a rough day against Dante Fowler last week but they still are very high on him and uh, very high on the line coming together as a unit. They'll get Chris Lindstrom back, their other first-round pick here in a couple weeks. He had a broken foot in the opener. And James is battling through a knee injury. But, uh, you know, they're giving him a day of rest and then a day of practice. And they're rotating him uh, in with Wes Weitzer the uh, third guard who gave up the sack from uh, to Aaron Donald and knocked Ryan out of the game. So it's a hard pause. They're trying to put a line together. Uh, hasn't gone as smoothly as they would like. But, uh, you know, they think, um, you know, all's not lost with that group and they can move on forward and try to build some continuity and, and get things going and get things blocked up much better for Matt Ryan. Orlando, I wish that uh, Julio Jones had given that uh, that speech next week. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. yeah, it's uh, you said it was a little too late. We think it's too early because you know I I mean when you get a team fired up like that, and we all know Dan Quinn here. I mean he's a a guy that you know is easy to love, and uh, I'm sure those guys are going to go out and play hard. What kind of game do you think uh, you're going to see? Is this going to be a win for your Falcons there? Yeah, I think it is. It's going to be a back-against-the-wall type game for them, uh, coming off of the speech and uh, coming off of how bad they've played the whole, uh, you know, part first half of this season. You know, uh, they need to show something, and I think Sundays they're kind of all-in game uh, before they go into the bye week. So, you know, if they can stop uh, Chris, uh, Chris Carson, who will be coming home, uh, former Parkview High standout here in Atlanta, and, uh, you know, just not let Russell kill him on the scramble plays to lock it. Uh, maybe they got a shot here to pull one off uh, before they go to the bye. That's kind of how I'm 
thinking this one might work out. All right, Orlando. Well, we appreciate you staying up late and uh, giving us a preview, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out in Atlanta. All right. I think I appreciate it, Dave, Paul, and Michael. You guys take care and have a great evening. All right. Thank you, sir. There he goes, Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's a mainstay there in Atlanta, kind yeah, of a legend, good, good legendary uh, yeah. newspaper writer there. You know what? And, and they got... They have so much talent. I mean, I, you know, Devonta Freeman was at one point, I thought, one of the best running backs. And he kind of he had a really slow start at the beginning of this year. He's, he's come on lately. I mean, yeah. I'll give him a little bit more in the passing game as well. But, you know, Cam Ridley is, I mean, he's legit. You Route know, runner. I, they've got, I mean, Julio Jones. I mean, I thought when they got rid of, you know, Muhammad there, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You know, but at one and six, you know, you, you get what you can probably at this point. They probably don't think they can make the playoffs, but they got a great tight end. They got a great running back. Yeah. They got a couple great wide receivers. They got a wide or quarterback who can throw it if he's healthy. Um, you know, 19 sacks isn't a great thing, but God, they're talented. If Matt Ryan plays this weekend, that is exceptional. I haven't seen a guy turn around off a handle sprain that quickly, so I'm interested yeah. to see if he does. Uh, Devontae Freeman tried to start a fight with Aaron Donald. Everybody's calling him dumb. I'm like, number one, I say he's got stones because he's Big a 5'8", 200-pounder going up against Aaron Donald. The other thing is you're not rational going into a fight. I mean, people are like, that's not very smart. Well, smart has nothing to do with it. <laughs> when you're angry and you're going into a fight, you're not thinking you're going to get whooped. I'm, I'm, I, I liked it. I'm not the biggest person in the world. If a man lifts me off my feet, I'm, i got to throw my hands. You tap out. i got to throw my hands. I'm not tapping out. I'm throwing hands at him. Oh, you okay. You can't let a person disrespect you like yeah, that. Yeah, he picked him up like a small yeah, child. Yeah, you got to throw your hands. I'd be kicking my feet kicking at him. your legs. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give you all a visual there. Oh, man, I actually had that happen to me. Randall McDaniel, no. that big guard. He picked you up? Dude, that guy was the strong. Somebody told me he had a 2,000-square-foot weight room in his house. He was just a ridiculously strong guy. And, yeah, he got me by the shoulder plate pads, uh, the chest plate. And just kind of like all of a sudden my feet went up. And I was like that. My feet were going. Yeah, that's not good. 2,000 square. It was humiliating. I have a 2,000-square-foot home. He's got a 2,000-square-foot workout place. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Good. Poor Burst you, up the Paul. water, though. Poor Paul living in Bellevue. <laughs> The slums of Bellevue. I, know. <laughs> I got you. Now we're going to break. Coming up next, we're going we're gonna to go around the NFL, check in with the professor, John Clayton. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Paul Moyer, Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus. And right now on the phone, we got the professor, Professor Actually, we're not on the phone. We're on your ISDN line, so you're going to sound nice and clear. Are you enjoying the uh, Thursday night game? Not really. No, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's like 19 to nine Vikings yeah. leading the Redskins. I mean, I know Jim Moore is happy that it's not 17 points yet, and it's not a blowout. But uh, it's been a pretty bad game. I mean, uh, Cousins hasn't been able to generate touchdown drives. Now you got Dwayne Haskins in there, and he's just simply not ready because of the concussion of Case Keenum. Not a real good football game. Yeah, you know, unless you like field goals, I guess if you yeah. like field goals, I guess it's a good game. Maybe we say this every year or more often than I think, but it just seems to me like it's a weird year that you look at the teams that are, you know, undefeated, like San Francisco and New England, and you go, yeah, they didn't play anybody. It just seems like there's not many 
Uh, am I wrong about that? It just seems like there's a lot of really bad teams mm-hmm. this year. And when you look at these good teams and their good records, it seems like more often than not, you look at their, their schedule and they feast it off of weaker opponents. Yeah, because, I mean, you particularly see it in the AFC where, uh, I mean, you, you can buff- I mean, Buffalo, how good are they? But the only team that they play with a winning record is going to be New England. Close game, but they lost that game. And then you look around the whole AFC, there's just, I mean, a lot of two-win teams, a lot of really bad teams like Miami, Cincinnati, and all that. And, you know, this to me is a repeat of the 2004 season. And in 2004, the AFC, it was really good. It had Peyton Manning. It had Tom Brady, some real good teams. Pittsburgh had Ben Roethlisberger. And they went 44-20 and in the interconference games. And so I think New England, New York Giants that year won 13 games. And there may have only been about three or four other teams that had winning records. To me, it reminds me of 2004. John, the uh, the 49ers go out and get Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, do you think the move to get Diggs by the Seahawks is a direct counter to that, or do you feel he was a, a available guy in the backfield or the defensive backfield, and we just picked him up? Available guy, and they just picked him up. It's the same thing as what happened today with Michael Bennett. You know, being available because of the fact that he got suspended, he wasn't happy about his playing time, and all of a sudden they start shopping him around at a discounted price. Dallas grabs him up for a seventh-round pick in 2021. They can upgrade to maybe a sixth-round pick. Same thing, I think you can see with Diggs, and 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 you can see the reaction in Detroit how bad it is because the Lion players are furious. I mean, Darius Slay not only had tweeted out on Tuesday, but followed it up on Wednesday how mad he was about that and so whatever it was with uh, the Lions and Diggs is that uh, here's a guy that was a Pro Bowl alternate last year may not have had as good a season for whatever reason this year and they decided to just dump him and so you know you get him for a fifth round pick you get a seventh round pick back in 2021 and so it's like no they, they just did that because it's like okay he's available we've got 10 draft choices let's do it Michael John- Bennett was fired suspended and traded <laughs> Did you ever hear that? And when, now he's in Dallas. When he, when he now he's in Dallas, at, yeah. He screamed yeah. at Jim Moore and said, yes. you should be fired and suspended. It's like, yes. I think you got those you, backwards. You, but it was a little, little strange. And traded. John, last week, a, a pivotal play, fourth and two, the Ravens. Um, and all of a sudden, Harbaugh goes from, uh, I guess he's a genius now, because he was going to kick a field goal, calls a timeout, and then they decide to go for it. What did you see down there that made that happen? What transpired on that? It was all Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson uh, ended up talking Harbaugh into doing it both with his action and his words. Because what happened is here's Jackson. He runs and gets the fourth and two. They're at the eight-yard line. And so on that play, ironically, you know, his little play card on his left wrist got ripped off. Okay, so now he picks it up, and he starts screaming at Harbaugh for putting the field goal unit on. So he's walking over right in front of me. He takes the card, and he throws it almost into the stands because he was so mad. And so, you know, a police officer was able to bring it back and get it back to, uh, you know, the coaching staff and all that stuff. And so, you know, then they start to talk, and, you know, basically Mark says, how can we not go for this? Let's go for it. And so Harbaugh says, okay, fine. So he runs down, gets the timeout. Let's uh, Lamar Jackson go on the field and he gets the eight-yard touchdown. That's not a brilliant play by John Harbaugh. It's a gutsy play by Lamar Jackson that engages him to be even more of a coach's guy that you have to trust because he was able to get the eight-yard touchdown. I like how Clayton tells these stories, but they're scrubbed down. You leave all the expletives out. Oh, no, he was cussing. Oh, no, there was some bad words there. 
There we go. Michael Bumpus, your thoughts about well, the NFL? Uh, I love the NFL. <laughs> I love talking to John Clay, too. John, how special is Lamar Jackson? I mean, we've seen a lot of running quarterbacks in the NFL, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, uh, Dave and, and Paul. Well, actually, Paul thinks Lamar is the greatest rushing quarterback of all time. How do you feel about that? Uh, he's up there. I mean, he's either uh, Michael Vick 2.0, Russell Wilson 2.0, or a combination of the two. He's just sensational. I mean, again, as a runner, I think he is actually better than Michael Vick. And I don't know if he's a thrower, but again, what as a thrower, he went from like 58% completions to 65% completions just in a matter of this year. And so he's getting better and better and better. I mean, clearly this guy's going to be sensational. You know, when you went into the season, you didn't know for sure whether you can endorse it because of the 58% completion percentage. Now you can endorse it because, I mean, he's that good. And last year, he came out of the blue for an aging, probably... Not too good, Joe Flacco. Got them into the playoffs with four wins in five games. And now he's having them sitting at five and two. I just don't know if he can hold up getting what's going to probably be 200 carries in a season. That's way too much. But so far, so good. All right, Professor. We appreciate the update and enjoy the rest of your evening. Hey, thank you. There he goes, John Clayton. We'll be talking to him tomorrow at uh, 4 o'clock. You know, it's funny. Last week I remember saying that I thought that Colin Kaepernick was skinnier than Lamar Jackson, that Lamar Jackson was beefier. Paul said he disagreed with me, but yet you came back today and said that you thought Michael he was beefier. Michael Vick than Michael Vick. I, I think he was a little bigger because I think Kaepernick at one point was like Yeah, but you were talking about how he's like six. Kaepernick wasn't 235. Well, I go look at it. I, I think in his heyday, he might have been close to that. He was pretty thick back in the day. Yeah, I don't to, know. We're going to have to check the records on that one. What, what's the, mo- Moyer, what what's the most rushing yards by a QB in a For season? a season? Yeah. 1,400. All right. Let's see if uh, Lamar Jackson gets that. I have no idea, Paul. I know. I just threw it. Well, I total, know that. My dad would call that a wag, a wild something guess. Cap, 6'4", 230. Thank you. Okay. All I right. stand... Correct. Okay, that's not a good thing when Paul Moyer's right. You're going right. to hear about it the whole rest the, of the evening. Someday I'll be wrong. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next, we'll talk about the big uh, roster move with Quandre Diggs coming into town, how much the Seahawks loved it, how much the Lions hated it. We'll get into that next on Hawks Live. Hawks, Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino. Now, here's your host, Dave Wyman. Dave Wyman. Yes, thank you, big voice guy. We are here at the Snoqualmie Casino, and I'm joined by Paul Moyer and Michael Bumpus. Nasa Chobi, our executive producer out here, and a nice crowd out here at uh, the Snoqualmie Casino. This is an interesting move, getting Quandre Quandre Diggs. I I, I blame me for that one. Quandre Diggs, yes, you put that in my mind. Um, Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I thought the safety position, I've been kind of unsettled about that. I know the big debates on, well, for a while there, they were talk, people were talking about the corners. Are they good enough? I think that question's pretty much been answered. Those guys both played really well. And then, you know, there's the hand-wringing over the sacks. But to me, I've been worried about your old position, Paul, and that's safety because I just they were so good at that position. I think they need a hammer on defense, somebody who's a hitter. I love Marquise Blair. I, I like yeah. the way he plays. Yeah. I, I like everything about him. But, you know, it's still kind of unsettled. Bradley McDougal having some back spasms. Yeah. And then Leno Hill's been hurt. And Tedrick Thompson is kind of 
fallen out of favor. I'm with you on that, Paul. I've just been saying that all week that, look, it was two plays. They were glaring. And they were, I've never, we've never heard Pete use the word distasteful. But, you know, he's played well, too. I mean, the interceptions he got in L.A. and Cleveland against the Rams and the Browns, those were fantastic. I'm not sure if there's a lot of guys in the league that can make that play. But Quandre Diggs, kind of interesting, 5'9", 200 pounds. He can play safety. He can play nickel corner. What do you think he uh, he brings to uh, this team, guys? You know, it, what was interesting, I think we were all surprised, and, you know, we start doing some research on him, and you, you go, okay, he's he's a Seahawk kind of player they, they love. He's a thumper, you know, pound for pound. That guy will knock you out, and he can cover, and he makes plays, and he's a leader. I'm, cur- I'm, I'm curious if the move is less about Tedrick and all the injuries. We, we got a lot of young secondary guys other than McDougal, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can live with your 4-3 base defense 70%, 80% of the time. You, you're saying we're not going to play man in those situations. And in this league, at some point, you have to play man and shut things down. You, you can't play zone on, on third and three yeah, to an extent. You can't play a steady diet of it at the very least. And here's a guy that they can bring in potentially in the nickel. And, again, I am speculating like you know nobody's business right now. Can they bring him in there in the nickel and they say, okay, we still feel pretty good against the run and his tackling ability? Um, you know, and maybe they move him to free. I, I, I don't know. I, I think right now they're trying to figure out what is the best matchup. And maybe it is eventually it's Blair or it's Diggs at the strong safety position and you put McDougal back at free. Or maybe Diggs is at free. I, I, I got to see that as well. He, he is such an interchangeable type of player. Because he can play some, he does play nickel. He can play either one of the safety positions, and you cannot put him and say, oh, he's only 5'9", he can't play strong safety. Yeah, he can. And so I, I'm really curious to see how this plays out in the next few weeks. I think that's why they bring him in, because he can play so many positions. And there is a question at free safety because of health and strong safety because of health and the nickel because they don't run it. And I think as the season goes along, and especially this week, there has to be more nickel. I think last week we didn't see it much because of the beast rub against double tight fullback type sets. There's no real need for a nickel. But I think going forward, when you play the Falcons and you play the Niners now who have a, a number one receiver um, in Emmanuel Sanders, you have to adjust a little bit. The Hawks are always going to say they're going to stick by their base, stick by what they do. But this move leads me to believe that they're thinking about doing some other things. And another thing I like about Diggs is that maybe he teaches Blair how to play the position in that way. Because Marquise Blair wants to play the position the way that Diggs play, plays the strong safety, free safety position. Coming downhill, um, playing fast, hitting hard. So maybe there's some guidance there. Um, no matter what they're thinking, I like the move just because of the health and the production. And people will highlight Tedrick Thompson on his two uh, big plays he gave up. He's also made some big plays. And I think it's just inconsistency. And when you're not consistent in the spot, you can't expect the Hawks just to sit down and do nothing, right? They have to make a move. You know, it's interesting, not that this tells the whole story, but one of the 30-yard the scramble, Nickel was in. You know, yeah. it wasn't because they had their three linebackers, and actually they got a great blitz. And Jamar Taylor came off the edge and came all the way around and almost got him. But, you know, you take that scramble away, and it puts him down to, what, 85 yards or something like that. So, yeah, I'm not so sure if that's hurting them or not. Well, but so here, here's my point. You might see uh, that this week. Because when we play nickel, I think we're, we are fifth in the league, giving up 33%. 
on third down situations. That is good. Uh, we'll, we'll take that. But when they do the matchup on first and second down, and we're giving up, you know, the seventy percent completion percentage, and we're bending, bending, bending. At some point, you got to get them in the second long situations, or second and ten, or third and ten situations. Yeah. And that's where I just to play 70 percent with your base defense on first and second down the whole time. I get the reasons, but at some point you got to match up and say. What are you going to do? Are you going to blitz? Are you going to play man? Are you going to play zone? Are you going to drop a safe? What are you doing? I know one thing in the base defense on first, second. I'm, I, you're offensively, you have a pretty good idea what we're going to do, and we have to do a better job, I think, in first, second down. Yeah, you know, you mentioned those those down and distance situations. Um, the sacks have to start coming. I mean, that's a huge play. We've been kind of explaining that away this year that. Uh, there's only four teams that have less sacks than them. One of them is Atlanta. They have five sacks. But that's a huge play, man. And the other thing about it, it's a drive killer. I mean, you're in second and five. That's a great situation. You get sacked for 10 yards. Now all of a sudden it's third and 15. You're pretty much most likely getting off the field. So those have to start coming. And it's uh, I just to me that's the, the one thing they've really got. I don't want to say clean up, but they've got to get that going. because. And I'm not saying blitz, but these guys got to – you know, pin their ears back and get after the quarterback, especially this week. I mean, if they have Matt Ryan out there, he's not going to be able to go anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, and a lot of times we've been saying, well, they've been throwing these five-yard outs and things like that. Yeah, you know, the hurries, the quarterback hits, all that, that's all great, but they need sacks. They need to get after the quarterback because I think they're equipped to do it. Yeah. You would think this is the week that it happens. Uh, a hobble, Matt Ryan, if Schwab comes in, he's not going anywhere. If I'm on, the, on this defensive line, I'm thinking, okay, this is the week that it happens. But I want to ask you a question, Paul. Um, you mentioned personnel, right? So when, when coaches are up in the booth, they see what personnel the offense is bringing out. So you're telling me the, the Hawks are sitting there and they're seeing the personnel and they're saying doesn't matter. We're just gonna we're just gonna stay in our base, making that, making it, no well, adjustment there. Yeah, well they they've done that for the most part through the first seven games. There's a little bit less I think over the last two games, but the first four or five games, yeah, we were seventy plus percent, you know, base defense. And I think partly is they felt confident with their linebackers. They can all run, they can cover well. But you're not putting a line. You're not putting Kendricks on a slot. You're not going to put him on Ridley. Yeah. You know, and if you do, we're playing zone, right? For the most part. Yeah. Um, and I just think you, you've got to have someone in that slot position where you say, "All right, but we're really just going to play a four-three defense. You're an outside linebacker. We're going to play zone there, and we're looking at the run on first and second down." And most teams do that. They match up. They see eleven personnel. Boom. They immediately put five defensive backs out, sometimes six. They don't care if it's first or second down. The Seahawks have said, we're going to stop the run, keep things in front of us, and when third down comes to play and we get into red zone, we're going to tighten things up. And we have. We're great on third down. Um, we're fantastic in the red zone defensively. We're 5-2. and two. So this is not a doom and gloom situation. But if you really want to get these guys three and out, I think we, we've got to start matching up a little bit more in first and second down. Let me ask you guys really quick, because we've got to go to break right now, but there's been some talk about Michael Kendrick, speaking of that. He's the one guy, and when Paul's talking about nickel, you're bringing a receiver in for, a, or I'm sorry, a DB in for a linebacker, and 11 personnel, one tight end, one running back, three wide receivers. Michael Kendrick misses a lot of tackles, 
But here's what I've said about him. He's And Bob Stelton made this comparison. It's like a shortstop with really, really good range. Like he's going to get to a lot of balls, and maybe it's going to tip off his glove, but another shortstop wouldn't even get there. I feel like that's the story with Kendrick. Yes, I've seen him slide off a few tackles, but I also think he gets there more or more easily more often than other linebackers. Agree yeah. or disagree? Yeah, I, I, I see that. And, and when you just look at him, you look at his size. Michael Kendrick, I don't know his measurements, but I would guess he's about six foot, maybe 5'11", five five eleven, eleven yeah. 245 yeah. pounds. Like mm-hmm. he's, when you look at him, he looks like he has a lot of range. And when I do, when I see him miss tackles, it's almost like on a punt return. I was a, I was a gunner on the punt team, and I hadn't tackled guys since freaking high school. But they put me on a gunner's punt team. And my job was just to go down and just take a shot at the first guy to, to, to slow him down and everyone else come clean him up. So maybe that's kind of the approach that they're taking with that. He'll get there. He might not make the tackle, but he'll slow the guy down. And there's a Bobby, there's a KJ to come clean it up. Well, and I, I think as coaches, you, you battle with this one. And, and I'll throw this out at you. Would you rather have a guy who makes 10 tackles a game and misses two or a guy who makes six tackles a game and misses none? 10 to 2. You know, but those two are they're glaring. You go, oh, my gosh. So it's the battle of, yeah, but he gets to the ball so much that, you know, he makes some, yeah. some missed tackles. Other guys maybe play a little more cautious. It's, it's, it's the challenge you're looking at and that trade-off all the time. All right, coming up next, uh, we'll go inside the film room with Coach Moyer and Coach Bumpus. Look at three of the most critical plays from the game, including what looked like a throwaway from Russell Wilson. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to the Snoqualmie Casino. They're treating us right out here, always do. It's a beautiful place out here. I mentioned earlier, about 10 minutes past the last exit in Issaquah, and it's just a hidden gem out here. Great food and great atmosphere, so we appreciate them hosting us. All right, let's go into the film room, guys. Uh, First thing, first play, this is what I mentioned in the tease. Russell Wilson, I turned away from this play. It ends up being an eight-yard touchdown. I really, I missed a really good play. I should have just kept my eyes on the ball. But Russell looked like he was throwing the ball away. But out of nowhere came Tyler Lockett. Russell has time. Pump fakes. Now he looks. Now he's got to get rid of it. A flag is down. The throw to the corner of the end zone was caught by Tyler Lockett for a touchdown. The flag is down. Russell took a shot, but he throws it up in the corner of the end zone. And lucky number 16, Lockett, comes up with a touchdown catch. I'm telling you, Russell Wilson is an absolute magician. An eight-yard touchdown catch when I thought he was throwing the ball away. Do you think he was throwing it away, Bump? Uh, no, I don't think he was. If he was throwing away, he would make sure it's in the back of the end zone. Well, he put it in a place where, I'll say this, where only Tyler could get yep. to it. But the thing that worried me about it is he kind of got hit as he was releasing the ball. He was sort of falling down. But, yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was careful with it in that instance. So what I see here, once the, the Hawks get into the red zone, they love that trips formation if they want to throw the ball. And there's been a week where... Tyler Lockett has been the closest receiver to the tackle. He runs a corner. They throw the ball. The week before against the Browns, Jerron Brown was the guy who was number three receiver, runs the corner, throws the ball. So what they do is they give the Ravens the same look they did last the week before. They're like, hey, look, we're going to get in the trips. We're going to put Jerron Brown as the number three receiver. Maybe they think 
that he's going to run the corner. They put Tyler Lockett in motion. He becomes the number three, and he runs the corner. Um, and now Russell just throws it up. He sees Humphrey has his back to him, and just like against the Rams, when Russell sees a DB with the back to him and he wants to go to a guy, he's going to take that chance and throw the ball. It wasn't the greatest ball. He did get hit, but end of the day, if I am the uh, opposition, if I'm going against the Seattle Seahawks in the red zone, I'm going to look for the slant-slant corner combination all day because they've been really good at it and, and have been successful at it. I got nothing to add there. Yeah, You know, so, just again, well to me, it's another Russell Wilson magic yeah. out of make something out of nothing. Yeah. Oh, well, that's why it's so shocking, and you have to give Russell a break. But, you know, the interception he throws for a touchdown, you go, wow, that was bad. But come on, man. I was driving to the stadium and going, it's going to happen. At yeah. some point, he's going to throw an interception. Oh, you thought it. And you, and you said no, it out loud, no, too. No, I'm not. No, I did not say it out loud. Okay. And no, it was not my fault. Okay. And okay. you thought it, too. Didn't you ask no. Tyler Lockett, like, you said he threw the ball. He spiked it a little harder. Yeah. Than you. What was his answer to that? He said that uh, he told his girlfriend he was that was for her. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know. He just said uh, he just felt a little something extra. You know, there. that Tyler Lockett's such a mean guy. <laughs> he spiked it hard. Yeah, that's right. Like, he's a, he, you know, he recited poetry for us. I, I, I asked him, I go, guy. you know, I thought I was going to get like a couple of lines. He did like a whole thing, and he had it all memorized, of course. It was it was amazing. So, yeah, pick up his book, Reflections. Paul, I know you like I love poetry, poetry. Dave. I love it when yeah. you read Paul's it to me, too. Paul's the less uh, sort of familiar and popular Man from Nantucket series <laughs> is what Paul <laughs> likes to read. All right, coming up next, uh, Marquise Blair comes up. I just love the way he played. they got to get him on the field, I believe. But uh, he has a beautiful pass tip. Ingram wide to the near side. K.J. Wright is on him. Trip set right. The throw across the formation. Knocked down. Blair was right there. Marquise Blair to knock it away from the tight end. Mark Andrews. Marquise Blair is the real deal now. He, The coaches have loved him. He's just been a matter, Dave, of trying to kind of understand what the Seahawks defense is all about. But when it comes to a physical ability, he has been on every play. So Mark Andrews, their tight end coming in, who good tight a, end. he is really good. He had kind of a rough day. He had a couple of good catches, but he dropped some. But he just runs like a six-yard stick route. So he's going to stick his foot in the in the ground and, and go angle right towards the sidelines. Tell me about his footwork there, Paul. Marquise Blair, he didn't. He kind of stopped a little bit, but he, he sort of kept him going. And the thing I liked about him is I know that a lot of times DBs will kind of panic and grab the guy. He didn't grab him with the upfield shoulder, reached with the long arm, and just tipped it away beautifully. There's no panic in DBs, but I get your point there, Dave. Um, here, here's, here's what impressed Certain me. DBs yeah, in so, the 80s wearing number I 21. Never, I, never got <laughs> I never got called for it, though. Yeah. Um, you it, never got a pass interference penalty? Oh, I'm sure. Once. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was wrong, but they called Yeah, they were it. wrong, um, of course. What impressed me was just his closing speed. I mean, yeah. he, he got his feet down. Reminded me a little bit of Coleman last year once he gets his feet down. And when you have a speed cut like that, and it doesn't matter if it's a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end, a tight end who can run a 4-7, 4-8, you know, when he does a speed cut, that first step separation, it's there. And it's really hard for a DB on a timing route to undercut that and make that play. He did. I mean, he as soon as he made it, he was immediately on the tight end's uh, hip, and then he undercut and, and knocked the ball away. He is a playmaker. I mean, he makes plays, and it's, it, it, that's never been the issue. Their whole thing was he's got to learn the defense. He's got to learn 
you know, what you can't do. You know, Chuck Knox, and bring those up here for you, Dave. He, he used to say it all the time. It's it, You're all gifted guys, but the great ones know what they can't do, and you avoid that. And I think he's starting to understand that now is, hey, there's sometimes it's okay to get, you know, a ball thrown underneath you. It's okay to, to let other guys make plays, do your job, and I think that's what we saw last week. All right, next play, uh, unfortunately, something the Seahawks did not do. Uh, Lamar Jackson with a, a big scramble, a 30-yard gain on third and eight. Jackson steps up to his center. Clock just about ticked down. Jackson steps up in the pocket. He's going to break free. He's got running room. 20, 25, look out. 30, down the sidelines, tripped up and dropped at the 40-yard line, far side. Making the tackle was Tedrick Thompson. He looks like he's hurting. And this guy, Jackson, can take nothing and turn it into a 30-yard gain in a heartbeat. Yeah, it looked like uh, Bobby was the spy guy. Again, a well-designed designed scramble because looks like the fullback comes out of the backfield and blocks Bobby and just gets just enough a piece of him. I thought Bobby looked like he was running hard, but, you know, who's going who's gonna to be able to catch Lamar Jackson? And then when you put a, put a blocker on him, then... Yeah, I mean, they were looking. That I, makes I, it really I, tough. K.J. Wright was on their tight end. He was definitely looking for the tight end. It was a, a stick route also. Uh, K.J. had great coverage on him. And that, in that situation, it, it almost looked like it was a designed run. It's not. I mean, he, you he, sure about that? Yeah, go look at it again. I mean, he pulls the ball down. I mean, he's looking at him. And the and Bobby a few times had spied in that game. Where the, go look at the running, but running backs looking to see if anybody is is getting through the line and he's looking to pick up one of the defensive line he looks real quick to his left and then he steps up and he and he gets bobby wagner but he he is looking hard look at the end zone when he's looking hard at that tight end pulls it down and then takes off and scramble we actually come off the corner with our nickel on the slot side to their their left our right we come off the corner with our nickel so we got five guys uh going after quarterback there so yeah it's a it's not a designed run, but it is a well, if that you want to call it your secondary play off of that, that's, you say, hey, if it's not there, we scramble. Yeah. I am gonna say, I'm going to say give Tedrick Thompson some credit here, though. Yeah. That was a great tackle. He had a guy right in front of him. He shed that guy. And I've never seen Bobby run faster and have a guy pull away from him faster. I mean, Lamar Jackson is world-class speed. Another thing that makes me even further believe that Lamar Jackson is super fast Whenever you got a defender chasing after you and you do nothing and he stumbles, that means he's just he's giving everything he has. Top speed. Everything he has. Once you get that stumble in there, he's like, man, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. I'm cramping up running. (laughs) (laughs) All right, coming up next, uh, we'll go around the NFL, look at some of the trades, some of the the teams, and I want to hear from you guys. This is a weird year. Like we talked to the professor about there's a lot of uh, good teams that are feasting on weak schedules, and we'll evaluate the Seahawks schedule and whether or not they're for real five and two team that's next on hawks live hawks live every thursday from seven to nine live at snoqualmie casino on 710 espn seattle welcome back to the snoqualmie casino paul moyer dave wyman and michael bumpus and we were talking a little bit we're gonna take a little trip around the nfl here talk about rumors and you know uh talk behind people's backs and things like that get (laughs) together uh, like us girls like to do. Um, and the first guy probably on the list, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett getting traded, shipped off out of New England. Bill Belichick doesn't 
put up with a lot of stuff there. But, you know, my first question was, so he got suspended last week because of, what, conduct detrimental to the team, however they want to say that. But my, there was some yelling. So my first question was, was it on the field or was it in an office? Yeah. Because that makes a big difference. You yell out on the field, that's one thing. But turns out it was in an office, and he was screaming and yelling about playing time. They suspended him. And I know in his press conference he came out and they asked him, did you learn anything? And he's like, no. So, I mean, he was being kind of defiant about it, and now he got traded to uh, to the Dallas well, Cowboys. I mean, Dave, you've seen him yell in a room before, and it yeah, it was disturbing. Five feet away. It was yeah. disturbing. I mean, his behavior was not normal it wasn't rational it was disturbing on how he did so take that moment and you remember the moment and now put that in a a, a, someone who's your authority and you come in there and start screaming i don't care who you are what it is you don't scream at your coach in a room because you don't like what he says was the coach screaming at him Right. I, I seriously doubt it. I, look, Ben, it's just time. You know, we'll see what happens in Dallas. I watched the first game he played this year, and I was, like, shocked. I go, wow, he's still got it. And for some reason, whether he is, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, which, as you know, that's probably 80% chance that's true. And they just said, you know what, we're a team defense. You can't just go do whatever you want. They, he only played 11 of the last 50 play or the last game. And I, look... I'm not a fan of him. I know he's done some great things, but I'd still come. You always say bad behavior is bad behavior. And when you keep having it, you get tired of it. Our producer, Nash Toby, hit on the head. He goes, okay, the two franchises that kind of reel guys in, the Seahawks and the Patriots are both giving them boot. Then he goes to Dallas with Garrett, who I feel like has really no control over the team at all. It's all upstairs with uh, with the owner there. So um, I want to see – does he learn from this experience? Does he go to Dallas? He go, I got a, I got a fresh start. I'm playing for the Cowboys. Let's change things up. Or does he allow the the non authoritative uh, Garrett to enable his, uh, I guess his his bad behavior? You guys ever have that conversation with a, a coach before? Because I have. My last year in Denver, <laughs> I went to Shanahan, who was both the GM and the the coach. You know who I went to first? I went to John Elway. I said, what do you think about me? I, I think I should be playing. And there was a guy playing, Dante Jones, who was a linebacker for the Bears, and he came there. And it turned out I ended up playing the last 11 games because he got hurt. But there's no screaming and yelling. You just go in and say, hey, look, I think I'm, I've done enough to be the starter and to, to play more. Why, why am I not out there? There's no scenario where you would go in and scream and yell at a coach when you're asking for more playing time or just having a disagreement with him about whether you're starting or anything that happens on the field. My, my dilemma was I, I was a free agent, and um, I had a, a solid first year, and I worked my way up the depth chart. I'm like the fourth receiver at, at this time. And um, for some reason, I wasn't getting reps in practice. And you know if you're going to play by the reps, you get in practice. And, I'm, and my reps are getting cut short. And I'm not a yeller, I'm not a screamer, but I'm making plays, I'm making plays, and I don't understand why I'm not getting red. So finally, I make a play in practice over a veteran. It was a huge play, everyone was going crazy, and I slam the ball, and I just yell out, give me more reps. And that's as, as far as I went. I didn't talk to a coach, and I just <laughs> but, said, look, put it on film, I'm going to make a play, I'm going to scream out, give me more bleeping reps. Yeah, but on the field. On the field. Yeah, so that's a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, you go into an office and do that, that's that's bushly. Yeah, it's you, no longer that... In practice or a game, there's emotion. I, I, I get it. You, know, you don't want to see it often. 
and I get it happens every once in a while. You go into someone's office and you start doing I mean, it's premeditated. You're not willing to listen. And I, in your heart of hearts, you really already know. You know, you know if you're why you're not playing. You know if the guy starting if he's truly better. And it, it it's rare that Paul, some, I didn't know. Well, <laughs> I, I'm just you know what I'm not saying. Most times you know though. I mean you yeah. do know, and it again all you can do is say why. And if yeah. they give you the answer, you say okay, I'm going to work on that, and that's all you can do. So again, Bennett, we probably talk to him. We're blue in the face. Move on. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm just looking at his numbers, and I'm looking at his completion percentage really bad last week, but that was because of that pig flop they played in out in Washington, the Redskins. Uh, 57% completion there, threw an interception, no touchdowns. But he's got uh, two, four, five interceptions and six touchdowns. Do you guys think Jimmy Garoppolo is for real? I, quite frankly, in San Francisco, all I care about is that running game. I think they do yeah. a really good job yeah. with, with their running game, and that's really that and their defense is what makes their it Their defense is legit. Their running game will be a problem. I mean, it's going to be something we're going to really have to prepare for. Garoppolo is one of those guys. You watch on film, I go, okay, good decision. Oh, wow, it was quick release. Oh, that was really accurate. And then all of a sudden, he'll just throw some bonehead throws. You go, what was he thinking there? Um, so I'm not 100% sold on him. But he can beat you. He's good enough to beat you, and if he hands it off, he can make all the throws. It's just if he has to throw it 30, 40 times, I just think he he will put them in, in harm's way, and they'll lose because of that. That's that's what I'm uh, I'm waiting to see is can he win a game? And when you have a good defense and a good running game, like you're just asked to manage the game pretty much. I kind of lost faith in Jimmy during the preseason when he said, he threw into like a triple coverage, and he goes, oh, you just practice on things like that during the preseason. To, to, and it, the answer just didn't make sense. It made me feel like there's a guy who just, who's just kind of winging it right now. I don't think he's winging it. He's a professional. He wins ball games. What is he? I lost two games or something as a, uh, as a starter for the Fortnite. I don't know what it is. Something crazy. But I don't believe in him yet because he hasn't been asked to win a game. Once you're asked to win a game and you got to make this drive, you got to put – Put these series together, then you earn some kind of respect in the league. But they are six and zero, so he's doing something right. He, they they can win with him, but, but I think the point you brought up is you, they're down fourteen in the fourth quarter. Can he go win that game for him? I I don't know that answer yet. Yeah, we know number three can. Yes. Yeah. So, well, I'm going to get your guys' predictions here coming up next. What you think is going to happen? Like I said, it's too bad that Julio Jones speech. About winning Come on, one for Dave. Coach. Come that, on, that really? Yeah, it's a almost speech? an automatic win. Paul. Okay. No, I'm kidding. It's, okay. it's not. Right. It's not like the win one for the Gipper or anything like that. But we'll wrap it up, uh, make, our, uh, make our predictions, and uh, get you ready for the game on Sunday. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to the Snoqualmie Casino. Sometimes we have the better conversations off the air (laughs) sitting up here. But I was mentioning going into the break, so Julio Jones went and gave this big save the coach speech to everybody. And it's easy to imagine that because Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, was here for a number of years. Just a great guy. Everybody loves Dan Quinn. Quinny, as they call him. And so you can understand why, but... You know, I was like, eh, I wish that uh, Julio Jones had waited maybe a week or two so that the Seahawks wouldn't be going into that. But 
What, what, what is a speech, really? What, what is a charge? A speech, I think we had a number charge, of those. It usually means you're on a big-time losing yeah. streak. Yeah, Paul, I was going to say, we had a number of those in the 92 season. Yes. We were 2-14 and 14 that year. Yes, I said after the 12th uh, team-only player meeting, I said, I think that's enough. Yeah. They're not working. Yeah, when, the, when you kick the, the coaches out and say, hey, we need to have a player meeting, Sometimes the wrong guy gets up there and starts talking. That's the worst. And screaming and yelling, and everybody's like, what's this guy talking about? Yeah, Plus, you made a point, hour. Michael, in, uh, in, during the break, yeah. that, like, how much does that really get you? It only lasts you about a series or a play or a few plays because at the end of the day, you got to line up and execute a play against a defense or against an offense, and maybe that gets one guy hyped up and he makes a play, but you need 11 guys moving at the same pace, at the same time. So I think in high school maybe it helps a little more. The higher you go up, in college a little less, in the NFL, I mean, it's a business. You know, you got to get guys to realize, look, you're fighting for your livelihood. Forget this emotion. If you are if you made it to this point, you're going to play with enough emotion, enough passion on your own. Now it's just about doing your job. So at the college level, yeah. I don't think it matters that much. I think – Great speeches and at the excuse me at the NFL level. Great speeches at the NFL level or after a game after you won a Super Bowl or a big win or a game yeah. ball or something. That's where I feel like it matters the most. We've had we've had some good ones the night before games and it's emotional. But I'll ask you guys. I mean, you don't have to say who or maybe you can think about it. The greatest speech you ever heard the night before a game or during the week, and now opening kickoff. Do you remember that speech at all? No. Not one second. Yeah. Well, we had a guy named Dick Manini who was a Dick defensive Manini. coordinator at Stanford. And uh, he was an old Marine guy. And he had this thing. I have to leave some of the expletives out. But it was like, charge the hill and plant the bleeping flag. And everybody was fired up. And then it's like, uh, now we have to go to bed. This was the <laughs> night before, you know. So sometimes you have to time those the right yeah. way. But, you know, I'll throw this at you, though. What about Bobby Wagner's speech on the Cleveland sidelines? That's yeah. different. Totally. I, mean, I, I feel like you're you're in the fight. You know, it's yeah. not before the fight. It's not halfway through the fight. It's not after the fight. You are in the fight. You're throwing haymakers. And I think that that matters the most if a leader can grab some guys in the middle of the situation because now it's real. You really feel what what the speech is about. Either you're getting your butts kicked or you're doing the butt kicking. You feel it. The before and after stuff, there's so much time to lose that feeling, I think. Yeah, you're in the moment. It's, it's like a slap in the face, you know, or – some guys are just, you're out of control. It's like the slap of a, okay, you're focused. And right. so you get a guy who's, you know, you know, can't do it all the time. I mean, it's like, you know, call, you know, you know, call, you know, yelling wolf. He can't do that over and over. People stop listening. But if you can time it right on the sideline, that has an impact to me. Yeah. You know, Ring of Honor member Jacob Green. He was I, great. I don't know if it was second year, third year. But he got up, and I didn't know him that well. And he was the leader of the defense. But he he got up, and I think we were on two. And he goes, "Who's going to make a play? I'm going to I'm going to get three sacks." And he wrote it up on the the chalkboard. And I was thinking to myself, "Boy, this guy's full of crap. There's no chance that that's going to happen." He went three. out and got three sacks nice. in that in that game. I was like, "I'll never doubt Jacob Green." Again. I but, went up on the board and said, "Jacob's going to get three sacks." <laughs> I wouldn't call him myself out. No, but Jacob was emotional. He would cry, and and it was real. I mean, it was from the heart, and he would get me fired up. And 
he, you know, I, I, I think I did one speech. It was 1988. We were playing the Raiders the Raiders. night before. I remember. We had to win to go to the playoffs. That was the last game of the year. Yeah. And we were going to be 9-7 and seven we and need, win the division. Yes. If we won. And, uh, and I, you know, I was just emotional because, you know, you've been together with these guys. You don't know if you're going to play with them again. And it was a group that I just loved being around. And uh, we went out and won. We did give we did. up, like, uh 39 points on defense, but we did win the game. Yeah, I remember John L. Williams running a bunch of screen. He had a 75-yard scoring screen play. John L. Williams, maybe one of the more underrated guys from Florida, first-round draft choice, really good player. Great coming out of the backfield, you know, catching passes. I remember that game as they were up six points, like 43-37, whatever score was, and uh, they throw a Hail Mary at the last play of the game. And it's and I'm and I'm there and I'm next to Willie Galt, and I go, oh, this thing is coming right down. I mean, this, this is bad. I mean, he's positioned right. I remember stepping on his foot and taking my left hand and grabbing his hip <laughs> pants and pulling him down. So if you ever go watch a film, he goes to jump, he doesn't get Nothing. one inch off the ground. <laughs> And, you know, we knocked the ball away, thank goodness. Because you yeah. were cheating your ass off, weren't you? Dave, Savvy you're only cheating if you get caught. Okay. All right? <laughs> no get, uh, no caught there. Well, what do, you, what do you think about this weekend? I, I feel like they're just a superior team. I yeah, mean, this too. their defense has given up a lot. And, you know, for, for Russell to go in there, they're number 31 in scoring. I think Miami's the only team miami's like dead last in every yeah, category they're unfortunately they're not on the schedule this year but yeah um, new england gets them again yeah new england's already played uh, the jets twice so they're kind of feasting <laughs> off that but yeah yeah it's just it's i don't care how many speeches that they get it's it's not as good of a team as the seahawks and i feel like they've done a really good job on the road this year yeah, I'm, right all the only losses are at home i'm looking at it going man if they can find a way like if you could go six and two on the road, that would be a major accomplishment. I mean, you want to try to win all your home games and go 500 on the road, but they're off to an awfully good start. I think for all the things that the Hawks want to do, this game is set up for it. The Falcons are 28th against the pass. They're giving up about 120 yards a game on the ground. They have a quarterback, whoever starts, Matt Ryan or Schwab, who aren't mobile, so our defensive line could get some pressure on them. I think this is a game that just get back to normal, get back to what the Hawks like to do, run the football, let Russell shine a bit, and jumpstart this defensive line. There has to be yeah. three to four sacks get this the game. Sacks. I agree. Yeah, it's, gonna, it's a big play. You know, I hope. They're number two, you know, passing in the league, and they throw it a ton. And, you know, Freeman's starting to get on track. They got, you know, Julio Jones. They got a great tight end. They they got players. I think we're going to have to score some points. I mean, they are defensive. I'm just looking here on some of their stats. They're 32nd third down conversions. They're 30, 30th giving up first down to 32nd sacks per game. I mean, they're, they've really struggled defensively. So we are going to have to take it to them offensively because I think they'll move the ball. I, I think this is just an offense. And I'm throwing nets if they got Matt Ryan. If they got Schaub in there, we should take care of business. Seahawks are plus four in turnover ratio. They're minus eight. So, not good. Um, Matt Schaub, if we get the backup quarterback in there, I don't know if you guys remember, 2013, the Seahawks go to Houston, and Matt Schaub had thrown two pick sixes the two games before the Seahawks came in. Richard Sherman picks off that bootleg pass and scores a touchdown. Oh, that was huge. That was the one where he ran out of his shoe. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a picture at the VMAC, huge blown-up picture of him stepping out of his shoe, returning that for a touchdown. He, he threw a pick six the next week. 
So I saw the problem, the likelihood of him throwing four pick sixes in a row. Can you? Like bl- I didn't even know he's still in 10 the league. Million. I didn't either. He's like 16 years in the league, and he's made a nice career for himself. But I wouldn't mind seeing Matt Shaw out there instead of Matt Ryan. Amen. So. All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks for coming, everybody. We really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, the, the, to the Snoqualmie Casino for hosting us. Special thanks to our engineer, Brenna Hutchison, board operator, Brian Shoning, and, of course, our awesome executive producer, Nasa Chobi, for Shaquille Griffin. I want to thank the professor and Orlando Ledbetter from Atlanta for giving us an opponent preview. For Paul Moyer and Michael Bumpus, I'm Dave Wyman. Thanks for joining us on Hawks Live, and we'll talk to you next Thursday.